American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today, we're talking about Harry Warren. Harry who? Funny. Harry Warren. Oh, you mean Salvatore Antonio Guaragna. Yes. The songwriter who was born, Salvatore Antonio Guaragna. But he is better known by the name Harry Warren. At least he's better known as Harry Warren among those who even know who he was. And it's a tragedy that he isn't better known because many songs he wrote have been part of the fabric of American culture for the last century. You're not kidding. Just to name a few of his songs, we have The Lullaby of Broadway, Jeepers Creepers, We're in the Money, 42nd Street, You'll Never Know, On the Atchison, Topeka and the Santa Fe, and Affair to Remember. I only have eyes for you. You must have been a beautiful baby. Because baby, look at you now. You're getting to be a habit with me. Chattanooga Choo Choo, which was the first song in history to earn gold record status. The Dean Martin standard, That's Amore, and At Last, which had its definitive interpretation by Etta James. Quite a list. And those are only a few of the songs he wrote over his lifetime. Right. He wrote 300 songs that were never published. And that's only a fraction of the songs he wrote between 1918 and 1981, the year when he died. Some sources say he had 500 songs published. Others say he had more than 900 published. Just astounding. Such an incredible ability to just spin off a melody. And so many beautiful and engaging ones that people remember. Exactly. So let's tell all our listeners about the amazing but little known Harry Warren. Sure. He was born in Brooklyn on Christmas Eve in 1893. Salvatore Antonio Guaragna was the 10th of 11 children born to Catholic Italian immigrants. When he was a youth, Salvatore's father changed the family name to Warren because acute anti-Italian and anti-Catholic bigotry made life very difficult. So the Guaragnas became the Warrens, much easier to say, Mm. and Salvatore became known as Harry. Which was much more palatable to the public at large. So anyhow, Harry Warren showed musical prowess from an early age. He taught himself how to play his father's accordion, he sang in the parish choir, and learned to play piano pretty well. He dropped out of high school to play drums with his godfather's band that traveled up and down the Hudson Valley. When World War I rolled around, he enlisted in the Navy and was stationed at Montauk at the westernmost point of Long Island. Since he played piano, he became popular as the entertainer of the crew. It was while in the Navy that he began to write his own songs. In 1918, after the war, he got married to Josephine Wensler, and they had two children, Harry Jr. in 1919 and Joan, who was always called Cookie, in 1924. As the family grew, Harry made money in a number of musical ways. One thing he did was play piano at silent movie houses, and this is something I did not know until researching this episode. Silent movies really were silent. Nowadays, when we talk about silent films, we think of films that have no dialogue, but have some sort of really ripping piano line that helps tell the story and drive the emotion. Back when these films were actually played for real in movie theaters, they had no audio built in at all. They were, quite simply, films. 
The music that the audience in the theater heard was provided by a pianist or an orchestra playing live in the theater along with the movie. There was no set score given. Each house made it up as they went. So this required extraordinary ability, especially to keep in time, recognize what was happening on screen, know how to convey an array of emotions through an instrument, and to improvise in real time. I know you knew that being a classic movie buff. Of course, I did know that. It's remarkable to think of the experience of being in a movie theater in those days compared to what we have now. Though I did get to go see Bugs on Broadway where the live orchestra playing was amazing. And this environment helped Harry Warren develop his ability and creativity and gave him a connection to movies that would mark his career. It was in 1920 as he was playing in a saloon when his song, I Learned to Love You When I Learned My ABCs, grabbed the attention of agents of a music publishing company. He got a gig plugging songs, which entailed him going to vaudeville theaters and radio stations and other venues to play songs which were being pushed by his employer, in the hope that they would use the song and thus drive the sale of sheet music. In 1922, he had his first song published, Rose of the Rio Grande, and he worked his way through the rest of the 1920s toward his goal of writing for Broadway. Always his dream. In the last couple years of the 1920s and the first couple years of the 1930s, he wrote some songs for a few Broadway shows and caught the attention of Hollywood movie makers. So he began commuting across the country by train to begin working on a few minor films for Warner Brothers in Hollywood. The Warner Brothers, by the way, are originally from my hometown, Youngstown, Ohio. And the Warner Brothers Studios had hit it big in 1927 with the first major musical motion picture, The Jazz Singer, starring Al Jolson. The age of the musical movie had arrived and Harry Warren was ready. Warren, however, did not like Hollywood. In those days, Hollywood was still a small town and the Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank were surrounded by undeveloped land. He much preferred the cityscape of New York and felt that Broadway appreciated songwriters more. So he wanted to remain in New York. But in 1932, he got his big break in Hollywood. He was paired with lyricist Al Dubin to write the music for the musical movie 42nd Street. The film was completed and Warren had moved back to New York by the time it hit the big screens in 1933, and it became a sensation. Warren and Dubin had hits with the title song 42nd Street. Come and meet those dancing Plus, Shuffle Off to Buffalo and You're Getting to Be a Habit with Me. Every kiss, every hug seems to act just like a drug. You're getting to be a habit with me. In 1933, after the success of 42nd Street, Warren moved west. Though he never lost the itch to write for Broadway, Hollywood became where he found success. Success, yes. We say it's where he found fame, but fame was never to be his. During the 15 years from 1935 through 1950, Warren had 21 songs reach number one on Hit Parade. The guy has as good a claim as Irving Berlin, Cole Porter, George Gershwin, and that whole set of notable names to the title of Greatest American Songwriter, but no one has ever heard of him. Right. He would joke that even his friends didn't know who he was. He called himself Harry who? Hence the opening couple lines of this podcast. <laughs> and he pointed out when his first song, Rose of the Rio Grande, was published, they left his name off the label. It didn't help that he was very shy and was not a self-promoter at all. 
He didn't go to the fashionable parties, he didn't pull favors, and he didn't employ a publicist. In fact, at one point, when he was at the height of his powers, some friends hired a publicist for him to get his name out there. But he fired the press agent the first time he saw his name appear in a gossip column. He liked his privacy and his good name, and he liked just being excellent at what he did. That's true. And he was excellent at what he did. He won his first Oscar in 1936 for Lullaby of Broadway, the smash hit from the film Gold Diggers of 1935. Come on along and listen to the lullaby of Broadway, the hip and ballyhoo, the lullaby of Broadway. Come on along and listen to <laughs> the lullaby of Broadway. I was just wondering when you were going to break out. <laughs> the high and hoop-de-hoo, the lullaby of Broadway. And as if to play to script, <laughs> I can't help myself. Yes. So as if to play the script, when he arrived to the Academy Awards ceremony in 1936 to accept that Oscar, he had trouble getting past the security guards. We're not sure if he was joking about that or not, but it's plausible. Over his career, he would be nominated for 11 Academy Awards, and he took Oscar home three times. More movies in the 1930s yielded such hits as Jeepers Creepers, which Jeepers was debuted Creepers. by Louis Armstrong in the Rick film Going Places. He actually sang it to a horse. And You Must Have Been a Beautiful Baby from Hard to Get. Many of the films he worked on in the 1930s were also notable for their lavish and large-scale dance sequences dreamed up and choreographed by the Hollywood legend Busby Berkeley. There's nothing like a Busby Berkeley musical. <laughs> One trick Berkeley would use is having a dance scene begin and end in a room or on a stage in front of an audience. But then the set for the sequence would suddenly be much larger and the number of dancers far more than what could fit on an actual space. It was a trick used to increase the dramatic impact of the dance sequence and the upbeat, up-tempo music that Warren would write for these scenes would keep it lively and engaging. The staging and choreography are surreal. These massive sets with dozens and dozens of dancers arrayed on multiple levels with stairs and props and crazy costumes. Movies just aren't made this way these days. No, it's so sad. Yeah. But we can go back and watch the old ones, which is great. Yes, we can. So in the 1940s, Warren left Warner Brothers and moved over to 20th Century Fox, where he kept making the magic happen. His five years at 20th Century Fox saw him pair with new lyricists, and a few very notable songs came. First was, Pardon me, boy, is that the Chattanooga choo-choo? Written for the 1941 film Sun Valley Serenade. Pardon me, boy. Is that the Chattanooga choo-choo? Yes, yes. And the recording done by Glenn Miller and his orchestra was the first record ever to go gold. Chattanooga choo-choo was also nominated for an Oscar, but it lost to The Last Time I Saw Paris by Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein. Warren was nominated again in 1942 for I've Got a Gal in Kalamazoo, zoo, 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 but he was up against Irving Berlin's White Christmas, which took the Oscar. Then Warren won his second Oscar in 1943 for You'll Never Know, which was featured in Hello, Frisco, Hello. You'll never know just how much I miss you. This song pulls on the heartstrings. It's based on a poem written by an Oklahoma woman whose husband was overseas for World War II. And in 1946, after he'd moved to MGM Studios, Warren won his final Oscar for The Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe, which was sung by Judy Garland in the film The Harvey Girls. In the 1950s, he wrote songs for two films starring Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, 
one of which, the caddy, featured one of Martin Standard's That's Amore. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. Musical movies began to wane in popularity in the 1950s, and Warren shifted his attention away from musical movies back to Broadway and other musical pursuits. It's like he had melodies in his head that were just itching to get out, and a number of his melodies, which were popular when they were released, gained all new audiences decades after they debuted when artists did covers of them in musical styles very different from his original. You've got the 1950s R&B harmony group, The Flamingos, recording a very well-known version of I only have eyes for you in 1959. And then Art Garfunkel did a mildly psychedelic version of the same song in 1975. And then there's At Last, originally written for 1941's Sun Valley Serenade and performed by Glenn Miller, recorded by Etta James as a soulful R&B hit in 1960. There are so many other examples. In 1956, he took another stab at Broadway with a show called Shangri-La, but it was not a success. In 1957, he earned his final Oscar nomination with the title song to the Cary Grant, Deborah Kerr film, An Affair to Remember. He did not win. He wrote lots more songs over the next 20-odd years of his life. And through his publishing company, 4J's Music Corporation, which he started in the 1950s, he influenced many more songwriters. But perhaps most unexpectedly, in 1962, he composed a very different sort of work, a Catholic Mass in honor of St. Anthony of Padua. Right. To remind people, this is the American Catholic History Podcast, and we've not mentioned anything Catholic since we mentioned that Salvatore Antonio Guaragna was born to Catholic parents and sang in his church choir. But the fact is, Harry Warren was a devout Catholic through all of this, all of his success. And though he and his wife suffered the tragic death of their young son, Harry Jr., in the late 1930s, they remained faithfully married for 63 years from 1918 until Harry's death. In 1981. It makes me wonder how long he wanted to compose a mass setting, or how long he was considering which of the many tunes were the ones to use for the sacred texts of the mass. Unfortunately, this mass wasn't actually performed until about a decade after he composed it. It was done by the ensembles of Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, and apparently it has never been recorded, which is fitting if you think about it. Perhaps the most important work of the illustrious career of perhaps the most successful songwriter in American history has never been recorded. The 1970s saw a resurgence in interest in Broadway and musicals, and thus a renewed interest in Harry Warren's music. This came to a head in 1980 when Broadway mega producer David Merrick staged 42nd Street. And they changed things up here, not strictly doing the movie 42nd Street as a stage production line by line and song for song. No, they included a number of songs from that earlier era 
turning it into a bit of an homage to Harry Warren. Most notably, they included Lullaby of Broadway from Gold Diggers of 1935. And it was a huge success, playing for years. However, just as Harry Warren should have been able to enjoy the Broadway success he had always dreamed of, he was denied that credit. Merrick left Warren's name off the posters, and a whole new generation of music lovers came to love his songs without knowing who was the man Harry Warren. Harry who? Exactly. Harry Warren died in September 1981. Harry's widow, Josephine, survived her husband by 12 years, dying in 1993. Their daughter, Cookie, took over 4J's Music Corporation and ran it until her own tragic death in a plane crash in 1991. The private plane was piloted by her son, who also died. Many commentators and experts have written about the impact of Harry Warren and considered his place among the pantheon of American songwriters, and many of them have agreed that the shy Catholic Italian songwriter from Brooklyn outstrips them all, that he is the greatest American songwriter ever. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. And support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give. To learn more about Harry Warren, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, please visit sqpn.com slash history. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.